0: The revelation can be difficult because there's so much imagery and so many things in there we don't understand. And yet if we uh, take a stand back and as it was said in the castle, go for the vibe. It's the vibe of the thing that counts. Then I think we get more of a feeling about what God uh, wants for us. But it is a revelation and so we pray that God would do his revealing through it and we're going to pray that now. Father, it is your word that counts in our lives and we pray that you would do your revealing in our hearts today. Pray that you would highlight what we need to know, that by your spirit you would work powerfully in our hearts and that you would teach us your ways. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When um, uh, Jesus was born... Mary and Joseph went into the temple and there was a couple of prophets there was a lady but there was a man called Simeon and Simeon uh, he'd been waiting I think he was about 80 or something and he'd been waiting all his life to see Jesus and Jesus came in with Mary and Joseph and he saw him and he said Sovereign Lord as you've promised here he is And then he said, now dismiss me, I'm going home. Um, It's a good thing at the end of a day, or the end of a life even, if we could say, we've done what we came to do, I can go in peace. That's at the heart of uh, what I'm talking about today, the Christian duty. If you want to read, I'm not going to do any of it today, but if you want to read a speech of someone in Acts chapter 20, you'll get Paul speaking to the church of Ephesus and he says in there, I've taught you, I'm going to leave you now, I'll leave you with the truth. Okay. So we're starting in Revelation chapter 11, we'll come back to that and you'll see the meaning of that as we go, but for the the meantime we've got to go into a whole lot of weird stuff which is the Revelation, so let's go for it. I was given a reed like a measuring rod. This is John. And was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and its worshippers. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it's been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Okay, we're straight into it. John is told to go and measure the holy place. Not the whole temple, just the inner sanctuary, the altar the place where the worshippers are, not the whole place because he said, you know those outer courts where those Gentiles are? He's not just talking about Gentiles there, he's talking about the unclean, the unholy ones. <laughs> they are given the outer courts, but the inner court is mine. It's got a, a, in a bit of fulfilment, if you were to read some of Ezekiel chapter 40-43 and Zechariah 2, we see this temple being measured the same, But the temple in those places is shown to be the inner courts, the safe place, the place where God's people are that no one else can defile or get in or destroy. Right, what does that mean? Guess what? We're not talking about the physical temple here. We are talking about, well, there's a new temple now, isn't it? What's the new temple? The new meeting place? Jesus. Okay, and those people who are in the most holy place are kept safe. They are protected. The outer courts, the kind of the places where, well, there's other people there. That, that place will be trampled. Okay, what does this mean? You see, the temple that we're talking about again is the temple that Jesus rebuilt in three days. He said he would, didn't he? We don't need a physical temple. It would be strange for us to go and kill goats and, and sheep at a temple now when we've had the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, But remember, the outer courts of the temple, it's like they are going to be trampled. They're given to the ungodly. Okay, This is a place where Gentiles, or as I say, the the spiritual Gentiles, are trampled for, they can trample for a limited time. They have some given to them authority over the outer courts of the temple. But those in the middle are kept safe. Because, uh, I've got four points today, did I tell you that? I'm going to give you point number one. You're going to remember this. It might seem that saints are being attacked, God's people. It might seem they're being attacked right to the core, but they're not attacked to the core. They're only attacked on the outer. As Jesus said, some of you will be killed for your faith, but not a hair on your head will be harmed. Okay? Some of you might die for your faith, but nothing can take away the centre core which is kept safe with him. Does that make sense? You're kept safe. Because I hear, and we hear of Christians saying, our rights are being attacked. They're tearing us down. Some people call us churches and nasty names. So oh, how horrible. We're really persecuted in Australia, aren't we? Yeah, right. Um, no, they're, ta- they're taking away our freedoms, yeah? They only have access to the outer courts. They don't have access to the core. All they can do is kill our body, really. That's, a, that's no great value. Nothing can take us out of Christ's hands. Does that make sense? And furthermore, now that we've read this, we should expect to be attacked. We should expect the outer courts to be trampled. And we shouldn't be surprised. And we don't need to look for human governments to protect us and laws to say that'll keep us safe. We are kept safe by God in the inner courts. Do you understand point one? Actually, when you want protection from a worldly government... it it always requires watering down the gospel anyway. Then we come to the next part where there's these two witnesses. Then I will appoint my two witnesses. They will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands and they stand before the Lord of of earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying and they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth in every kind of plague as often as they want. There are these two witnesses that appear. Okay. Who are these two witnesses? You want the simple answer? I don't know. um, There's at least seven good theories that people have and i Tell you really quickly: they're Elijah and Moses, Elijah and Enoch. The two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia. The the church in general, the martyrs, uh, two people we don't yet know, or the Holy Spirit and the apostles. Okay, take your pick. We're not going to we're not going to go through those things. It doesn't matter. People have different views, but in any case, these two witnesses. It's the heart of what's being said about this, which is the point for us today. Okay, so that's what I I don't want to get lost in the trees is what I'm saying. I want to stand back and say, what is this saying? These witnesses faithfully and fearlessly bear witness to Jesus. They tell the truth. They're like these two olive trees. And when it says the two olive trees, that means the olive trees in Zechariah 4. And I will read this passage in Zechariah 4 says, then I asked the angel, what are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? Again, I asked, these are the two, uh, what are these two olive trees beside the two gold pipes that pour out golden oil? He replied, do you not know what these are? No, my Lord, I said. And he said, these are the two who are anointed to serve the Lord of all the earth. Okay, this is the two olive trees you are not lost yet, are we, Linda? We're going good. That's good. Okay. They will bear witness and the golden lampstand. You know what the golden lampstands are in, in the Revelation? The church. And what's the olive oil? The oil of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And it's piped from and to the church. The Holy Spirit. Okay. The witnesses that bear witness. All true witness of Jesus will come through the church. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? We spend our lives running down the church sometimes. Do you know that? The church is great. The church is going to make known Jesus. And the power of the Holy Spirit. And the words of the witness says have great power. There's all sorts of examples. But they have power. They consume. They bring judgment. I tell you this. And I know I've talked about this a lot lately. But... The word of the cross of Christ brings what the Greek word is, crisis. The Greek word of crisis is translated judgment. It brings a judgment. Do you know that when a a judge gets his hammer and he whacks it on there and he says guilty or not guilty, he never says partially guilty. right? When he brings down the hammer, there is a division. Does that make sense? A judgment has been made. When the word of the gospel, the word of the cross, the word of Jesus comes to a person, they are not left in a place where they can be on the left or the, uh, and the right. There's a point of crisis that comes. Okay, If the point of crisis doesn't come, then the gospel hasn't come or it hasn't been heard. Does that, is that clear? Right. So these people preach until... They've finished saying all they need to say. It says until their message has reached its goal, its telos, until it's finished, it's accomplished, in the same words that Jesus used on the cross when he said it is finished. The message reaches its goal. They bear full witness to Jesus and then they take their rest. And this message, again I'll say, it is either loved or it's hated. In um, uh, Galatians 5, we hear that the message of the cross is an offence to those who want to live by the law. It's offensive. They don't like it. Okay, But we also know it's that same message which brings salvation in the hands of the Spirit. We are called to bring the message of the gospel. Do you know that? We're called to tell people about Jesus. That's our calling. And to tell the message of the cross. You know, we can tell messages about God, which people love. Actually, it kind of panders to people sometimes. We can say God is love, and that's good, but this is love, not that we love God, that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for our sins, as a propitiation. That's where the rubber hits the road, at the gospel. Can you see we, we have to, at some point, preach that message, which is very hard to preach. And the reason it's very hard to preach is because we know in our hearts it brings that crisis judgment point, doesn't it? It's the word that divides. That's what the gospel always does. And the tendency is to try and dumb down the message. Well, everybody will be saved anyway. No, no, they won't. Well, at least once we want to be saved, will we? No. Or to miss the offensive bit, don't talk about the fact that we're sinners. Don't talk about the fact that we're helpless. Don't talk about the fact that we can't save ourselves or change ourselves. Or to make the church about the present life, the successes and joys of this world. Can you see what I'm saying? The gospel is confronting. So point two. Point one was simply this. Saints are being attacked, but not to the core. We will be kept safe by God. Point two, we are those who bear witness to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's all we need to do. Jody spoke about our friend Phil. It's, it's an interesting thing to think through if you were given a very short time to live, which he's been given a short time to live, weeks. And yet he has the ability at the moment to talk and, wit- and and what he is doing with this time is bearing witness to Jesus. Because if you don't, you always feel this thing in your back of your mind, I have not fulfilled my purpose. Don't we? Do you know that feeling? I haven't said what I should have said. And when we say what we should have said, sometimes we get this un- uncomfortable feeling, did they hear? That's not our business. That's the Holy Spirit's business, whether they hear or not. Our job is to preach the gospel as if the end is soon because we don't know when our end is. Take the opportunities given, speak. Okay. We'll go on. That's, that's where we're in point two, preach the message of the gospel. I'm going to read the next passage, uh, verse 7. Now, when they have finished as witnesses, their testimony, the beast comes up from the abyss, will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was also crucified. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, language and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse the burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. They finished their witness, God gave them for that, then the evil one comes up, makes war on them and kills them. That's the truth of the whole situation. There's a spiritual battle going on with the gospel, isn't there? There's two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. They're kept safe while God keeps them safe, the people of God, and then when he steps back, they're killed. That's, that's the reality. The evil one hates the witnesses of the gospel. He hates them. Then their bodies lay in the street of the great city, which is figuratively, as, as we keep saying, the revelation is figurative. Why do we know that? Because it tells us it's figurative. That's a good reason to know it is, right? Right? They so just take it. It is Sodom and Egypt, two places that come under God's judgment. One for their rampant sexuality in, in Sodom, and Egypt come under the plagues because of this enslavement of the people of God. They, they were known for their moral perversion. But this is also the place where Christ was crucified, where he, under the sin of the world, outside the city, where he bore those, the sins of these worlds. It's not an earthly city, it's not any particular city, it's every city. It's the world without God. And the men stare, this is in the present tense, and I'll go into these tenses in a minute, stare right now, it's saying 2,000 years ago, at their bodies of the witnesses. And there are people staring and gloating from every tribe, people, language, and nation representatives from all mankind. Remember, in the the Revelation, we've got the the group of worshippers. They're also from every people, tribe, language, nation, representative from all mankind, every culture, every whatever else. Do you understand? Can you see this? The reality is this is where we live today. In every people group, in every class, in every family, in every tribe, in every race... There are those who believe and stand worshipping before the throne. And in every tribe and nation and, and class and people group and every race are those who hate the saints. That's the world we live in. They're there together. And there are those who want to worship Jesus and there are those who want to destroy the people who worship Jesus. They might be nice people. You know the nice people of this world that say nice things and try and bring peace and yet when you scratch the surface they're just seething with anger underneath and that anger comes out against God in the end. They want to humiliate the people of God. But the persecutors rejoice at the murder of the witnesses yet they are not the victors. We find that out. They gloat over their bodies. They even send each other presents. Hey, let's have a celebration. Yeah, it's so good that Christians are being crushed, tormented. A, a quote I read from a bloke called Torrance in a book he said this A faithful gospel preacher never soothes the unrepentant, but rather stirs into anger and discomforts in the conscience. Thus, the death, death of the prophet brings great angry joy. <laughs> Don't you love that? Great angry joy. Why does the church of Jesus Christ today sit so easy to her surroundings? Why do Christian people live such comfortable and such undisturbed lives in this evil and disturbed world? Surely it is because they are not true to the word of God. It's a bit of a rebuke there. Okay. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here, and they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. The witnesses were brought back to life. They were resurrected. Now, what I said about the tenses in this, right? Um, I don't want to get tense about this. That's sort of a joke. That's not a very good one, so I won't. Um, It says this. If you went through the passage, it says this. The witnesses will in the future be overcome and killed. It says they are presently right now lying in the streets dead and then it says they have already been raised to life. It says this, I'll say it again. In the future, they'll be overcome and killed. Presently, they're lying dead in the street and they've already been raised to life again. It's trying to say this, right? This is to bring hope to us. In the future, there will be persecution, possibly even death. Presently, you'll see the people of God persecuted, even lying in the streets dead. But don't worry. Know for the people of God, you have already been raised to life through Jesus Christ. Can you see the promise of resurrection is what empowers us to do what we need to do now. And they are raised from the dead. They are vindicated by God. They're taken into a glory cloud, which is his very presence. Okay, so we've done three points. The people of God might be attacked, but they are kept safe and nothing can separate them because of Jesus Christ. Point two, they do their duty to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and that is their whole duty. Point three, their message will be accepted and rejected and the true witnesses will be raised in the end. And then there's a great earthquake and a great Song of praise. Verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, OK, listen to this song. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is And who was? Because you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. They're singing the final song. We'll all join in this song. It's a good song. It's a song of victory, the victory of God, the victory of Jesus who reigns on the throne how long? Forever and ever. Forever. A song, and they all fall down and they worship him. Do you notice here, this is the song of the end. We've got to the end of time here, and then we're going to jump back again in the Revelation to a bit earlier, and that's how it does. It goes to the end and comes back a number of times. But he says here, We give thanks to the Lord Almighty the one, who was and who, the one who is and the one who was. Have you ever noticed that normally it says, and the one who is to come? Well, it's not there now because they're at the end. You see, he's not is to come, he is already. Because you've taken your great power and you have begun your reign. The, the nations were angry and you crushed them in your wrath. The judgment has come for the living and the dead and for the rewarding of your prophets, the witnesses. Who fear your name and for the judgment of those who destroy. Okay. Evil has been defeated by who? The one who is in control of all things, the Lord of heaven and earth. In the past tense almost, eh? How sure are we of the victory of Jesus Christ? It's a done deal. It has happened. In God's plans, you see, God who has planned everything has planned this day and the things he has planned are more sure than anything else in our lives that we will ever face. Do you get that? Sometimes as Christians, especially when we're faced with death, we, we, we hear people speak of the resurrection in such a way that they'll say, yeah, yeah, I, I, we're all going to die one day, but we will we, we'll be raised, won't we? We will be raised? Yeah, yeah, we'll be raised? yeah, we'll be raised. Yeah, we'll be raised. You know, a heart and a mind that wants to say something they don't really believe in. The resurrection is more sure than anything else we could ever know. Do you know this? Okay, we will be raised from the dead. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's come to us through Christ. It's nothing. Yeah, a real resurrection, real people that would give Paul the ability to say something like, "For me to live is Christ." And to die is even better. It's gain. Can you see that? That's how sure we are of the resurrection. And if we don't have that, then, then be on your knees in, and take up what God has offered to you. Repent and have faith. Can you see that? Because this puts life in its right perspective. And without this, we have no perspective. We're just floating through life. We have a hope of a resurrection to a holy God who will judge the living and the dead and is completely righteous. And we have a, when we know that right understanding of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then obviously we know what we are made for for living in that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, by living connected to Christ and by proclaiming that truth. Yep. Because otherwise what we'll do is we'll say, yeah, 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 Jesus, and then we'll go on building our own little earthly kingdom and doing our own thing, which is not what we made for. Can you see what I'm saying? Thank you. That's good. In the end, we will sing a praise song. All of God's people, for his praise, because of his holiness, because of his judgments. It's the one song that, that the modern worship companies don't produce. You see, there's three, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. There's three praise songs in the Revelation. Praise for God, the creator. He made everything. Praise for God, the redeemer. He saved us through Jesus. We have those songs. Praise for God who is the judge who will destroy the evil ones. We don't have many of those songs. We used to. Remember the old song? Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the... I forget the next word, actually. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. Glory, hallelujah. doesn't say, oh no, he's coming. Glory, hallelujah. He's trampling out the vintage where the grace of Roth is stored. In the end, we will praise God forever in his holiness. That's why we're told to fear the Lord. It's the beginning of all wisdom, beginning of all knowledge. It's the fear of the Lord. He is holy. Where can we take refuge from this holy God or in this holy God through Jesus Christ? And nowhere else. Without living this. We will not live in the truth. We will live warped lives. We will spend our time thinking. And speaking and acting. About at best inconsequential things. Unimportant things. We will waste our lives. At worst. We will live our lives in idolatry. But. But. The whole story here is put to us. We live in that. Or let me say it another way. Live in that. Live in Christ Jesus. And don't get distracted by the world around us. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to give you thanks for this sure and certain future that you've given us in your son Jesus. Father, it gives to us our whole lives, our life story, in your story. I pray that you would make that real to us, that we might step into this story that you have for our lives, that we would put you at the centre, your son, your salvation, the worship of you. And, Father, that you would put everything else in its proper place for us, that we might live our lives glorifying you, praising you and speaking of you and your son, Jesus. I pray that you would make us bold, even where that threat of crisis of judgment is is right in our minds, that you would make us bold to speak, that we might rest knowing that we've fulfilled what you've called us to, that we might live in the rest that comes from knowing Christ and from proclaiming him.